So I, I want to say, after kicks, after kicks was over, I was, I w I would say I was lukewarm to above lukewarm on the movie. Yeah. <laughs> lukewarm to lukewarm uh, to heating up. Lukewarmer. Right. Uh, you were pretty high on the movie. Mm -hmm. Has that changed at all since uh, we saw it? What was that on Thursday, Saturday? So, I don't remember. Sunday last week. Yeah, okay. Sa Saturday. Yeah. Um. No, I I think that my impression was pretty uh, solid in terms of how I thought about the film. It's over directed. Mm -hmm. But it's oh, and, and really quickly, I guess to set it up, it's a it's a film about a boy who is trying to come of age in a very difficult place. This uh, it's it's uh, outside of Oakland, mm -hmm. and he's decided one way to help him get the confidence he needs is he needs to get a pair of Air Jordans. Mm -hmm. He gets some Jordans and changes his shoes. That that's going to help him cope with, you know, this kind of life that's coming at him a little too fast. <clears throat> and somebody steals his Jordans and he goes to get him back. So this film is over-directed. Yeah. It's, it's a first feature. Definitely. And you can see that he had ideas and he went for it. But I walked away being like, I think that he's to be commended for what he was trying to do. I can mm -hmm. see what he was trying to do. It wasn't just, hey, look what I can do for no other reason than, you know, I can do it. Um, like, like Hype Williams. Like, I love Hype Williams. I loved his music videos. But I remember watching his first movie, and I couldn't tell you what the plot is then, and I couldn't tell you what the plot is now. All I know is that some images looked really, really cool. Mm -hmm. And I just felt like, man, he lit the crap out of this scene. I have no idea what's going on, mm -hmm. you know? Um, but in this one, it's it's really ambitious and he over directs it. At the same time, I got th the story still got me. Mm -hmm. And that is the reason why you make the movie for the story, not so that everyone gets your astronaut metaphor mm -hmm. you know what about you uh i have firmly cooled and i am now firmly in the lukewarm category i liked the beginning and i liked the end the, okay. the middle is where it loses me a little bit uh and that is where a lot of the over directing takes place or maybe where it culminates because it happens throughout. But then by the middle of the movie, it's like, all right, I've had enough slow-mo rap song montages. Let's move this along. It, it's, I started honestly thinking about the joke about 300 where it's like the movie, if, there, if all the slow motion was taken out of 300, it would be like 15 minutes long, right? Okay. There's so much slow motion in this. Th okay. Th this is not going to convince you, but I have two things that I want to say about it. Well, three things, quick things. Number one, the movie's short. He, sure. He, he is telling a very specific story, and 
it's not like it's indulgent to the point where you're watching a two plus hour film. You're like, this could be an hour and 45. I mean, you know, if you want to be cynical and say like he had a 65 minute movie and was yeah. like, how do I stretch and this out? And he padded it to an to be, hour okay. and 29 minutes. Right. So, so then, so then we could say maybe, maybe that that's the cynical reaction. But for me, and again, I know this isn't going to convince you, but for me, the characters were strong enough that it pulled me through all of the over direction. The framing of his shots still stood out to me. Sure. You know, I kept thinking about, especially the first time he did slow motion in like a party scene. Mm-hmm. Have you seen that? Um, I don't know if it's a meme, but it's just a picture that goes around. But it's like a picture of Justin Bieber getting attacked in a club. And the caption is always like, this looks like a Renaissance painting. Mm-hmm. And it's, you just see like, yeah, like somebody's yeah. On this, on holding a beer and on a iPhone, but just the way that everyone's composed right. in that picture, it may, it does make it look. And, and that's what I kept thinking about at some of these where I was like, it's, it's like a painting or it's like a modern sure. representation. And then the last thing I'll say is I felt like the, rap songs that he uses to break up his films and the rap or in the rap songs he uses right after usually in a slow-mo is revealing more about the culture that he's showing us yeah i do want to talk about that more specifically later but all i'm saying is and you've acknowledged as much that it is padding and it feels like padding after after a certain point it feels like you just want to get the story moving along it's like I get the I get the I, I've gotten the feeling you're trying to portray with these shots. I get it. I they look great. They do look great. Yeah. I've had enough. Let's yeah. move. Let's move along. Uh, and so the other part of it that I had an issue with was specifically in the middle part of the story. So it's the story is about a, it, it's more or less about the the lengths to which uh poverty will make a good kid do bad things and, and sort of the the pressures that society push, pushes on on this kid and uh kind of how all of these outside influences that he has no control over will alter his behavior right like the astronaut is a symbol of his uh, sort of innocence and his uh, desire to escape, right? Desire to escape his sort of idea of what a man is, stuff like that. The problem is that I felt like the stuff that he starts doing in the middle of the movie was not believable. I, I was not on board with him after a certain point. Like I was on board. I was like, okay, this makes sense for this kid who, uh, these shoes mean everything in this culture. It, it, it makes sense for him to be following these steps. It makes sense for him to go to his uh, uncle's house, who's an ex-convict. It even it makes sense to it, to me. It makes sense for him to, after being rejected by his uncle, to then go along with his cousins and see what they can do. But at a certain point, like it does not make sense to me that he's taking a loaded gun into a guy's house that everyone has told him is a murderer and will kill him and like confronting 
a little boy with a gun. Like it just, it, 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 I I don't believe it. And I think part of that could be that it would have been stronger. I would have had an easier time staying with Brandon if the movie itself had stayed with Brandon. Instead, what you get pretty soon after the sneakers are stolen is you then get the perspective of the guy who stole the sneakers. And you see that he's giving those to his own son who's seven or eight years old. And Oh, no, what, much younger. Younger. And, and while it doesn't excuse it, and it doesn't suddenly make this guy sympathetic, I think it gives enough of a sort of cloud of doubt over Brandon's motivations that when he's going to these extreme lengths, instead of him going into this house not knowing what he's going to find, I know exactly what he's going to find. And I don't want him, like, I, I, I guess I just am not interested in that confrontation, right? I'm interested in it from a perspective of, like, I had no idea that what that's going to be there. But once I know what it is, it just is, I know how it's going to play out. I know what it's going to mean to him. And it just kind of, like, I, it kind of feels like I've already been there. I've already had that confrontation in my mind when you revealed 30 minutes ago that the little boy was the one who had the sneakers. Yeah, I for me, I kept thinking about the term, like, magical realism. This film turned into, like, a fable at some point for me. And it it had a specific application to, you know, where Brandon's growing up. Like, I almost feel like it could be, like, a bedtime story that you would tell your child, the kid who got his Air right. Jordan stolen and had to go, you know, um, track down the big giant that stole his shoes and... Mm-hmm. You know, like it, it really does play like a, like a fable. And that's where, that's where my mind went. So I stopped thinking about it as a, as a strict realist documentary approach to what would it look like for this kid to try and get his shoes back. And I looked at it more as a, uh, as a moral tale a morality play um, that involved these these characters. So for me, I, I think one thing that, that crystallized that feeling for me was I, I read an interview or I read an article where the reviewer was basically complaining that this is like dour and mm-hmm. dark and depressing and it's just like wallowing in it but the people who die in this are not the main characters Mm -hmm. any of the main characters that are shown it's a henchman um who i think and they're just talking about the absurdity of death in the inner city how it can happen in a heartbeat at Mm -hmm. a car show um at the end, did you think that the little boy was going to get shot or that Brandon was going to die, right? Like, No. And see, I, I kept thinking, I was like, oh, here we go. This is where it's just going to be like, they're, they're in a shootout over shoes and the little boy is going to get killed in the crossfire. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's not telling that story. It's like, it's not dark and depressing if you look as a fable where Brandon comes out of it and really has a profound lesson about 
violence and Flacco is basically admitting coming to terms with his nature. And I think that it's actually a very positive ending um, that has a lot of uplift to it. Yeah, I, I definitely don't agree with the uh, darker with with. Uh, I thought it did a great job of presenting everything as it is, uh, or as the director experienced it in his own life, right? Mm-hmm. Because this this is more or less his story. He was jumped for his shoes when he was young. He grew up in the Bay Area. I thought it did a very good job of presenting those things without giving it any sort of tinge of darkness or even support. I thought it did just a great job of just being like, this is the way it is, right? You take, you take that how you're going to take it, but this is how it is. Uh, you know, there's a, there's a couple shots where it's, you walk into a house and you just see on the uh, coffee table, the coffee table is just full of drug paraphernalia and baby toys. But it, and that sounds like a very obvious thing, mm-hmm. but it's handled in such a way for me, at least that it, it, it just felt like a, it felt like it was just presenting it. It didn't feel like it was telling you this is good or this is bad. It just felt like this is the way it is. Right. The shot doesn't linger on it to make you be like, right. look, it is a stand. It is a standard establishing shot that you would see in a hundred other shows. Uh, so I never got the feeling that it was, uh, and I think story wise, I, I just don't think it's like a sad or somber. It does. It feels like a kind of like a childhood tale of adventure or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but I did, I, I really liked that. It The same thing with like a lot of like a lot of the movie is these, uh, early high schoolers smoking weed and drinking right but again it's done in such a way that it's like it's not saying look at how terrible these kids lives are they're 14 15 16 years old and they're just smoking all day and drinking all day it's like this is the reality of their lives Mm -hmm. like you can you can think it's good or bad but as a filmmaker i'm just showing you what this is like i'm not saying whether it's good or bad and i i really like that about that's the sense i got from it and to me i think that's um, that's kind of uh what kept it from getting to uh doom doom and gloom for me. Yeah, but I mean, didn't you feel like towards the end we kind of passed through a looking glass and we and we entered into uh almost like an alternate dimension that wasn't directly reflecting ours, but we're we're in a storytelling realm now where this astronaut is playing a bigger role where even Brandon kind of at the end takes on this Christ like pose after he gets, you know, beat up by, by Flacco and after he's willing to kind of sacrifice his life for no more violence, you know, Mm -hmm. like I, at some point I felt like we had transitioned into the point of the movie and the director managed to do it in such a way that it didn't feel like he was sermonizing, but I definitely started picking up on the images that he was using and 
and the way that the story was being told that it no longer was like where I'm so worried about reality right now. Like after Brandon runs away from Flacco and gets told off by his friends, he falls asleep in a park, you know, like, mm-hmm. I mean, he would, who would do that? You just were in a shootout. You're literally what? Five blocks from where Flacco is. He's uh-huh. probably looking for you. But that was like, that was his night in the garden of What's Gethsemane. The you adrenaline know? wearing off. Yeah. I think, uh, I think adrenaline, but I mean, after that, he comes back as a much more kind of like he's, he's experienced something. Mm-hmm. He's, you know, he no longer values the shoes like he once did. Well, I wouldn't say that. He still wears the shoes. No, no, no. Re- remember, after that, he uh, he now, puts now the gu- he puts the gun in the shoebox yeah. and throws the gun away. But he wears the shoes throughout yeah. the rest of the movie. He, no, he wears the shoes, but he's not worried about like getting them scuffed up. Like, sure, he wants to go play. He's like, I'll I'll play basketball with you. But you know, the, the shoes no longer hold the the appeal that they once did. Yeah. You know? Uh, one thing that I, that I noticed that I, that I really liked, and I think this is the, probably the best example in the movie of what I was talking about with like how it's handling the realities of this life is inevitably there's, so in this movie you have Flacco, who's the bad guy and he's doing a lot of bad things around his very, very young and impressionable son. And inevitably, in all of these scenarios, you get the moment of the son now imitating the father's behavior, right? Mm -hmm. And it's always, uh, you know, he's cursing or yelling at somebody or he picks up a gun or something or he's violent. And in this movie, the way they handle that is a moment where they're driving in the car together and his son starts singing a song that Flacco and all of his friends were singing. And that is the moment of showing like this little boy is watching everything you do and he's picking up every single thing you do. And even Flacco has this moment of real, has that moment of realization where it's like, he is watching me 24 hours a day. And I just thought, I I really liked that it handled it in a way that was, uh, I think realistic and it was not like hitting you over the head. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like, now watch this little boy pick up a gun like his dad does. It was, he's still imitating his father, but he's doing it in a way that all kids imitate their, their parents, right? And, and that it is very relatable to someone like me who would never be picking up a gun in front mm-hmm. of my kids, right? Yeah. But I, you know, sing songs in front of my kids all the time. Mm-hmm. So I just really liked that touch. Um, the other thing I had not an issue with but I think, again, I think it represents my overall feeling of the movie of like, I liked it, but there were some things that were just a little off for me about it. And, and two, I want to say, when we, were ta- when we were talking about like movies we were excited for, I was excited for this movie because I was hoping it would give me a different perspective. Like a, just a perspective I haven't seen in movies before mm-hmm. and, expe- and a perspective I haven't seen in my own life before. And I think it does that. Yeah. 150%. Right. And so it's great on that approach. Um the his 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 buddies, 
Mm-hmm. I think his his buddies are good, mm-hmm. and they're good at keeping the mood lighthearted. Mm-hmm. But I don't think they're as funny as they're intended to be. Mm-hmm. They're not like super funny. They're just kind of like they're they're good at keeping the tone light. Yeah, I w- kind of wish they were funnier. Yeah, I I I don't know. I felt like I f- I feel like if we were to talk to the director. They might have a specific story they might have been pulling from in the way that he structured this, that they represent like two companions. If you go back to mm-hmm. some story, like it, 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 it would, all I'm saying is it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, he references like the Iliad and the Odyssey and he mm-hmm. has like those characters represent this guy and this guy, you know, mm-hmm. or this figure and, and this figure. Um, or maybe not. Maybe they, they are just like the comic relief, but I felt like they serve their purpose well, especially at the end when, you know, he's, you know, kind of, you know, pissing them off or when one of them gets hurt that I realized how much I cared for them, which mm-hmm. I think was their function. I don't think that they were just supposed to be like Chris Tucker comedy relief, you know, like the loud. Although this movie did make me think of Friday. Like it it made me think Friday and this movie are both trying to make a stylistic decision to tell a story mm-hmm. in a in an overblown way. Friday is like a sitcom and this one just struck me more as like a fable. Like I have nothing more specific than that, but even going back to like Greek mythology, like this seems like an update on that. Like, mm. you know, this is how you would understand that journey today. And I kind of like the fact that they didn't tip too far into the Friday approach where you would have, you know, Friday has the threat of real violence. Like there's a drive by. Yeah. Um, but I remember feeling terrified at moments watching Friday when I was a kid. Yeah. Yeah. Because the drive bys. Yes. And that was something that stuck with me too. Yeah. That was very scary. It's when I very was a kid. scary. Oh no! I same here. And but you have Chris Tucker, you know. Yeah. And I I I would. Chris have, Tucker is super funny in that movie. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. I wouldn't have wanted a, a Chris Tucker. Yeah. Um. In in kicks, it's just I think that they played a better function for the story than tipping your hand more into comedy than they already did. Sure. Uh, did you know that Albert? Is Notorious B.I.G.'s son. The chubby friend. Really? Yeah. Uh, And speaking of rappers, what did you think of... I could only think to call them... They're like chapters, right? They're like chapter markers Mm -hmm. throughout the movie where... It's like Quentin Tarantino-esque. Yeah, so the title, the name of the track and the artist appears. Mm -hmm. And then... uh, and then the movie continues, but it's just a, and they play and they play bit, the song a bit of that song. So, what did you think of that? Love, I loved, I loved it. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the reasons why I loved it, I leaned over to you for whatever reason. I've been going back and listening to like some old school rap albums that I listened to back in high school, and one of them was Wu Tang Clan, mm-hmm. and that's one of the first songs he uses. I couldn't help but lean over. I was like. Dude, I'm listening to this album right now. This is crazy. <laughs> right. Um, but then, as I as I started to, um, as the film went on, 
he started to use artists where I remember in high school, I got very self-conscious for a bit Mm -hmm. because I started to realize that I was listening to music that I had no connection to culturally right? other than I just really liked the music. So um, he played a too short song. Now I remember growing up and too short was an artist that made me feel like, I don't know what's going on, (laughs) you know? And I never got into him for that. And, And there were a lot of region specific rappers Right. Even growing up, I didn't really know. But when I didn't connect with them, as I got older, I realized that a lot of times it's like, oh, he's out of New Orleans. Like, he was rapping about this, this, and this, you mm. know? Um, or, like, Scarface even. Like, I just... There, there was stuff where people were rapping about specific areas, and I had no connection to it. And this film... More than any other film I think that I've seen helped me to place that feeling that I had and say, yeah, that's what I was feeling. This is what they were rapping about. And this is what that culture represents. And I started to be able to put the pieces together in a, in a real way and get a much fuller picture of what life is like you know, growing Mm. up in and around Oakland. Right. Um, So I was really appreciative of the film for reflecting that in, like you said, in an honest way where I was like, this is what too short, this is exactly what it would look like. You know, if too short song came to life Mm -hmm. in this moment, right? This is what he was rapping about. And it didn't, it didn't come off as, um, it, it come off as it, it came off as like a real revelation of it, and not as a showy moment of like, you know, this is what you didn't get, or watch what I can do. Yeah, it was just subtly done, and I I appreciate it. Yeah, I I I I am still uh, at the time, and I'm still a little confused by them because. I didn't feel like they represented like actual chapters in the story. First of all, but I was also just confused from like a logistical standpoint because obviously, like you said, two short, a two short songs played, uh, an E 40 song is played. Mm -hmm. Uh, Kendrick Lamar song is played and those are all Bay area rappers, right? I'm pretty sure Kendrick Lamar is from the Bay area. So that makes sense to me mm-hmm. as like exactly what you said. Like this is the music that represents our region. But then there are like Wu-Tang is played. Jay-Z is played. Nas is played. Those are obviously not Bay Area rappers. Mm-hmm. So and the tie-in also seems to be a fairly superficial like the E-40 song they use is Tell Me When to Go. And that is not even like a, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not even anything deep to that song, mm-hmm. right? And, and it just is like played at a moment right when things start to pick up, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm still, I would, I would love to read some clarification from mm-hmm. the director on on what his intentions for, were. For me, it worked as a mood 
piece is a mood setting piece. Yeah. And sometimes it does, I think have a, have a direct correlation um, to the scene that follows. But I think I wouldn't be surprised if you just hear Justin tipping. Yeah. Um, just say, these were some songs that either I grew up with or that inspired me as I was writing this movie and I wanted to include them. Mm-hmm. And I was like, go for it, man. That's good. Like I, I, I'm down for what he was. I think that's the thing is just like this film for whatever reason gave me enough for me to go with it. And excuse the things that I that you could critique it for to the point where I'm not interested in in delving into those critiques. I'm more interested in discussing the film in what it's doing, what it's trying to do, than, you know, yeah, wasn't it really over directed? Like that's not an interesting conversation to me. And sometimes like with the Blair Witch, that's the only conversation I can have, which is wasn't this so stupid? Right. But with this one, there's a better conversation to have. And I think the director does such a great job on it that I'm sad that more people aren't going to see this movie. And that it's not getting, I think, the the response I think it deserves uh-huh. in how it's reflecting this experience in this area yeah. and this story. Okay, I have two more questions for you. This first one is... Uh, was brought up in one of the reviews, one of the negative reviews I read, I believe. Did you have any issues with the portrayal of, of with the portrayal of women in the movie? So there's not very many women character mm-hmm. characters. The only, I think, actually, the only women characters show up. Well, no, there's more, but th- they're basically only there as ob- sexual objects for the men. Um, well, and then the one woman who's given significant screen time or any sort of, uh, lines of dialogue is not exactly, not exactly a, you know, sterling example of female culture uh, the, or the, women in general. The, the part where Flacco goes to, um, get a lap dance and brings his son mm-hmm. and the part where they take Brandon to uh, basically have sex mm-hmm. to me felt real. I, yeah. You know, it felt, it felt to me like this is someone's experience, whether it's the director or somebody else. Right. But this is how it would go down, you know? Right. Um, so I felt like I was being exposed to something real, which I can't argue with. Because he he made it feel real, even if mm-hmm. it's not. Even if in an interview, he's like, well, "I don't know what that was about. I just thought it would be a good way to, you know, good thing to do with my character." Um, but on the other piece of it, it, he did in such a way that it felt like the drug paraphernalia. It felt like when Brandon sees his little baby cousin on a bed with a gun next mm-hmm. to him, that it's just this is how it is. And I, I felt like, okay, you know, in the world of your film, 
this is how it is and this is the story that you're that mm-hmm. that that you're that you're telling i didn't think that he was overtly antagonistic or neglectful of the women in this film mm-hmm. but i think he showed how women are perceived through the eyes of these characters exactly right so yeah, that's that's exactly how i took it every like every story can't be a character examination of every single person in the story mm-hmm. right like and I, and it's exactly I, I was thinking of it exactly like you just said the women in the uh they're they're the the women in the scene with brandon are presented in the way because we are getting Brandon's perspective and that's all they are to him. And same thing with Flacco. The only reason we get that with Flacco is because to Flacco, this is purely just a girl who's there to give him a lap dance. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so I, I agree with that. I think it's just a, it, it, it's a little bit of a, I, I don't know, just a straw man, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, the last thing I wanted to, ask you about and this is something that I've been thinking about ever since uh, watching the movie even before watching the movie because I didn't know who the filmmakers were does it make you feel any sort of way that the movie was written and directed by not black people a movie that is about very much about uh, I would say life in Oakland but also black culture and that relies very heavily on that culture's language. Mm -hmm. Does it make you feel in any sort of way that the director himself, and again, I don't know what the director's makeup is Mm -hmm. at at most, or at at most he's mixed. I I couldn't tell, but he did grow up in the Bay area. The person he wrote it with is a gay white guy that he met in college. Who's from like the East coast. Mm-hmm. So not from the Bay Area, not black, not from that culture. Right. So does that make you give you any sort of pause? Does it make you rethink the movie in any way? No. Do you think it does it delegitimize any of the uh, cultural relevance of the movie at all? No. Um, I think I think number one, it it doesn't do any of that because of the way that the film is executed. Number mm-hmm. one that it feels authentic. The story that he's telling, uh, I understood what he was depicting. The other thing too is I'll say the acting, you know, friends notwithstanding, is pretty remarkable. Well, I would say the acting is is awesome. Even yeah. even the friends are yeah. are great. I just don't think they're written that funny. Oh, yeah, yeah. So so no, I think I think the acting is ridiculous and yeah. his uncle is He's awesome awesome yeah so i think that i think that there's something in the way that these characters are portraying it too that makes it feel that adds to that authenticity that doesn't make it feel like uh oh mm-hmm. that was written by a guy who's and performed by a guy who's like really you want me to say this line okay mm-hmm. I'll, I'll try you know yeah. um if it totally felt real what I will say is there's a film that I think I think does represent all the problems that you've that you know that article or reviewer laid out that you just asked me about 
and that's Beasts of the Southern Wild, mm-hmm. which was written by a white dude, and I, and I don't know, I don't know if he's from the area or not, but that film to me feels as inauthentic mm-hmm. as, like, yeah, if it, it just feels very, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it feels very, it feels like Donald Trump Jr. Gave his best shot at like understanding black Uh culture and came up with something like this, you know? Sure. Uh, But no, it it felt, it felt just so artificial. Um, That was carried through by great performances, but the film itself to Mm -hmm. me, was like, Mm -hmm. and this didn't have any of that. And, and I think that this was magical realism. Like it, it did incorporate some aspects of imagery with the astronaut and I think also with the way that the story goes in the third act where it goes more artificial, uh, it goes more fable like that still felt authentic. So no, it it wouldn't have mattered if it was written by straight up white dudes Mm -hmm. in who went to NYU and grew up in the Bronx. Mm -hmm. Like I would, I would want to know more about their writing process. Um, but, uh, but the film, was executed in such a way that it felt authentic. Yeah. I would like to know how much of the dialogue in the movie is from the written page and how much of it is, this is what we're going for. We want you guys to make this your own. Yeah. Uh, But it does give me a little bit of pause just because I'm a white guy who grew up in a white suburb, who has lived in white neighborhoods my entire life, who has more or less worked with white people for my whole life outside of like the couple years that I was a groundskeeper. And so I'm not sure if the movie feels authentic to me because this is a very well acted and well written version of black culture that I've gotten in a lot of media Mm -hmm. or if it's because it is truly authentic. Mm -hmm. I would just like a uh, black person's perspective on the movie or even better someone's perspective from that culture, from that neighborhood on the movie. And again, the director is from that culture, Mm -hmm. from that neighborhood. I just would like to, see different conversations from different makeups on the movie. Yeah. I think that there are some really interesting reviews being written by, you know, some black critics out there that I think are good. Have you heard of a movie called Morris from America? Yeah. That's about the, uh, that fat black kid that goes to Germany. (laughs) Just in please PC. (laughs) Right. Um, yes. And Craig T. Robinson is in it. That's right. Um, and so, uh, he wants to be a rapper. The, the, the little boy does. Right. And it's written and directed by Chad Hardigan, who wrote a film called This Is Martin Bonner mm-hmm. about two older, late middle aged white dudes. Um, one of them is a Christian, and one just got released from prison. They're trying to do right by each other. And uh, that that felt authentic when you look at his picture and stuff. I was like, yeah, this is this feels like maybe this is where this guy from is from. And then he made this movie, which is about 
the black experience in Germany. Mm-hmm. Um, and a boy wanting to become a rapper. And he came under some fire from people who are like, yeah, it would have been nice to see a black guy, you know, either get a chance to direct right. this or to write this, you know, don't know why I had to be Chad Hardigan, you know? <laughs> right. Um, but I think that that completely misses the point. You know, I think it misses, I think it misses the point of film. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it, it's, it's, you can decry the lack of opportunity for, for, for people. I get that. Mm-hmm. But to sit there and say that somebody, that an artist cannot do a specific story because maybe they do not fully represent that culture outwardly. Mm-hmm. You know, does not mean that they don't have a story to tell, you know, within the culture sure. or about the culture. You know, uh, I think that it, they have to walk a fine line. And I think that it takes somebody like Chad Hardigan or Justin Tipping to walk it well mm-hmm. and to say, I, I understand the pitfalls and I'm not going to succumb to them. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's enough examples of, white writers and directors getting it wrong in right in, in white movies, Mm -hmm. you know, where you have like the idea, like the magical Negro idea. Right. Um, and, uh, and so I'm like, your, your, your effort and your energy is misplaced, right? Go after the white films that Mm -hmm. misuse a black character. Don't go after the well done kind of black films they're done by people who are sensitively trying to tell a story mm-hmm. either about their experience or something that they've been thinking about or talking to other people about that they want to represent, you know, and maybe give a little more credit. I understand that like the actors are acting, but you know, I, I don't know. I give a little credit to the people acting in um, kicks that they're, they're kind of mature enough to be like, this movie's crap. I'm not going to do it. You mm-hmm. know? But no, they chose to do it. If they're smart people, they might have, they might be bringing something to it as well. Yeah. And I think that they are. If you watch this film, I don't see how people walk away. They say like, oh, he's observant, but he's not saying anything. And I'm like, I, I think you're being yeah, willful. that's absurd. Yeah, yeah, I think you're being willfully ignorant because he's trying to say too much maybe. Right. And the points that you feel like he should be saying, he's not lingering on it in a way that maybe you're expecting. Yeah. But the gun on the table or the drugs with the, you know, children's toys or the way that uh, Brandon's family reacts to him, his cousins, you know, respond to him. Mm-hmm. That's saying a lot just by depicting it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think too, I think if he would have commented on any of that stuff, it would have felt like he was trying to say too much mm-hmm. because it is so, uh, I mean, part of, I think part of the point of it is that this is a a culture that has been so sort of neglected and forgotten about and uh beat down that this that these things that are glaringly obvious to people in the middle class are just like so uh uh they're such everyday occurrences that they're mundane mm-hmm. right that's the whole that's kind of the whole point mm-hmm. and pointing that out it would have been it would have been way even pointing that out once i feel like it just would have been too much mm-hmm. uh, and and listen it was kind of played for last but i think i think to me the scene i think of when you say that 
I totally agree with you, is the scene where Brandon goes to visit his uncle and his uncle is visited by a guy. We don't know mm-hmm. if he's like what he's there to do. But he gets, I don't know, riled up mm-hmm. by one of Brandon's friends and pulls a gun on him. Right. And ends up firing the gun in the house. And you think that this is a, an older, you know, the uncle's older, mm-hmm. that he's been to prison and out. He's going to be maybe have a little more common sense and not be involved in, you know, activities that would potentially get him back in prison or that the people he'd be hanging out with are not idiots. Mm-hmm. And the first person that walks in proves to be an idiot. Right. You know, of anger, of, you know, like a, a raged out, you know, kind of uh, figure who comes in. And I just, I just felt like, yeah, that's, you know, like, like you said, this culture has been so neglected. They don't know how to deal with like their anger issues. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like they get older and they're like, oh, you know what? I shouldn't get so upset about people wearing colors, you know, (laughs) like, no, they end up being a 45 year old man who will pull a gun on somebody because they're wearing the wrong colors, you know? And so I just thought that that was real. And this guy who is incarcerated is like, he's associating with them in Mm -hmm. some way. Like you think that he would have the common sense to be like, I can't deal with you with bringing a gun to my house. I'm not going back to jail. But he's like, no, this is my. This is where I am. Right. You kids need to get out. He's not yeah. even like super upset. The guy. Exactly. That's gonna say it's. It's. It's not even that he's. It just is like he's so used to it that he just is like, basically like, why are you doing this again? Get yeah. Out. Yeah. And yeah. he's like, he's like, yeah, don't wear the. Co-. You know, it's almost right. like he's kind of saying like, yeah, don't wear the color. Right. You know, he's like <laughs> siding with this guy, and you're like, yeah, that's that's like the like that moment. I'm like, how do you? 